a Podcast One production. So the cloud was originally created as a marketing term to get people to move their IT equipment from their offices and into someone else's office, a larger office with air conditioning and electrical systems and shared internet systems and fantastic cost savings and a whole new industry was spawned. People believed that this new industry was more secure, it was safer. I mean, there was an initial period where people were mistrusting of the cloud, but it eventually got to be accepted as this cheaper, safer alternative to having your servers at your office. What people don't realize is because you can access the cloud from everywhere, the way that we go and attack these systems is very different. It's super hard for us to go in through the front door of a cloud provider like AWS and hack through the firewall. It's nearly impossible. What's a lot easier for us to do is to go and breach the individuals who have legitimate access to that cloud. So what I mean by that is, let's go and find out what this person's email address, usually pretty easy to go and find that out. Let's go and find out some passwords that this person may have used online. Let's go and check the darknet. Let's get a little bit of a library of some potential systems that the person might use or potential passwords the person might use to gain access to that cloud environment. Once we have that access to the cloud environment, the person usually doesn't know that we've actually got access. So we can access things like emails, we can access pictures, we can access backups, financial records, everything. And people don't adequately protect themselves or their identity from people like us. And it allows us to gain access to these cloud systems no matter how well set up they are. I'll give you an example of how well set up they are. So Microsoft take security very seriously. If you put a server on the internet, so what I mean is you get onto your cloud account and you set up a new server and you patch this thing. Patching means putting the latest security updates on it so it makes it harder for us to uh, find vulnerabilities that we can use to exploit. A fully patched Windows box put on the internet with no firewalls in front of it will be owned in 11 minutes. In 11 minutes, we'll have access to the operating system. We'll have access to the camera systems, the mailing systems, everything. Anything that you do on that computer, we can see. We can then behave as you. We can take control of it. It's not a good state to be in. So it shows how important these other systems that create control stacks or things that protect from evil entities gaining control or owning an operating system are in play. And the cloud does have all these systems in play, but all of them are negated if we get control of your username and password and even your two-factor authentication or your security questions. So really make sure that the answer to those questions aren't out there on the web. The reason why people think it's safe is the same reason that they are leaving themselves hugely exposed. So something like 500 celebrity nude photos were leaked from their iCloud accounts. Now, iCloud, hugely secure environment, lots of really intelligent people working on security to protect your data and information. What the attackers did was they used a targeted brute force, a targeted phishing campaign, phone calls, uh, to guess security questions, to take control of email accounts, and essentially steal those people's identity and then gain access to their cloud accounts. And then they distributed all these nude photos of the celebrities and it was termed the fappening. That's a really good example of how people perceive that the cloud environment is safe, 
but by losing control of your identity or your passwords, you can access these environments from anywhere in the world with a phone or a laptop or anything. So it puts you at a higher risk level and definitely gives more people access to your systems if they get control of your identity. So we've got Fergus Brooks in the studio, ex-head of cyber risk at Aon Insurance, and also David Kaplan, Amazon Web Services principal cyber consultant. David, during the series, we've been talking a lot about how cyber attacks have been increasing, how they're becoming more professional, how they're becoming more organized. Are you actually seeing data on that at Amazon? Is Amazon being exposed to more and more attacks year on year? Obviously, you've got the systems in place to cope with it, but is that the data you're seeing? Yeah, that that is a sad reality. I think it's just a reality. Like An example is like a fully patched Windows system on the internet will be owned by some automated scanning tool within, you know, minutes, that sort of thing. So the the internet is a a scary, dangerous place. There is automated scanning happening constantly and any vulnerable system will be attacked like kind of instantly. The stats are amazing on that. If you've ever just looked at the logs on your own personal home firewall, you'll be amazed to see how many attacks and scans are being propagated against your your own home on every minute, every hour. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it is. And it's just reality. Like if you survive on the internet, which you know, clearly many organizations do, you're, you're constantly dealing with that, you know, scams via email. So yes, there are more and more attacks. I think what's more interesting is that the attacks are becoming sort of smarter, like, you know, way back in the day, kind of when Fergus and I started getting into security, like literally it was people hacking for fun and the literal internet punk spray painting, you know, defacing websites and that sort of thing. Now it's it's really very much about stealing money or stealing intellectual property, you know, and the stats once again here are just frightening. I mean, I think the very kind of run-of-the-mill scam where email server gets compromised or it's just a forged email to the CFO of the company, you know, CEO of company sends email to CFO of company, transfer X tens of thousands of dollars to this bank account. That particular scam... I think it was last last year in the US, $1.5 billion lost money, like just because of that. And that, that's, that, that's like corporate level. Like that stuff happens all the time to people at home. That's happened to my dad. You know, the bank rang him up. He's going, we've just got this email from you saying, can you pay $40,000 to this? Do you really want us to do that? It's like, what? I never sent that email. And, you know, I, I ran incident response on my dad's computer and, you know, someone had hacked his webmail. Pretty sure it was some sort of automated attack. They'd literally found like a sent, a previously sent email to the bank. They'd rewritten it, ever so slightly changed it. And literally it was only the fact that his arrangement with the bank is like if he makes a transfer, they then have a like a secondary authentication. They ring him up and say, hey, just just confirming you want me to do this, this, this transfer and, you know, they don't make that phone call, they don't the process. That's what's um, fascinating. So, you know, we hear about all these amazing automated tools that help us protect our networks, but those tools can be used to attack networks as well. So obviously to scan huge swathes of data such as emails in, in, a data, in an email storage system to look for things like emails going out to a bank, to look for bank transfers, for looking for opportunity for uh, wire fraud or, or whatever it may be. Is that one of the reasons you think we're seeing a big increase of attacks because the criminals out there are starting to automate their own processes? Absolutely, no doubt. And it's kind of galling to, to admit, but there's no hiding from it. I mean, 
There is a massive industry for organizations that literally write like hacking tools and uh, banking Trojan software. So, you know, you go to the, the dark web or some bad place in the internet and you as a, you know, maybe you're some sort of organized criminal or you're just a, a bad person, you buy like a kit that enables you to do a spear phishing a campaign and you literally just type in, oh, who am I going to spear fish, you know, company XYZ and it'll it'll send emails to company XYZ saying things like, hey, uh, this is your IT department calling, click here to reset your password or whatever it is and steal creds like that. So like the bad guys don't even have to be that technically capable. They go and buy like a software as a service hacking capability. So you know, the goal here is pretty much, as I said before, it's like it's money or it's intellectual property. Intellectual property is a kind of more advanced one. And it's quite creative. Like some of the attacks we're seeing now, you know, they're using... Okay, let's look at the cookies that are currently within the the browser environment of a particular individual. Okay, we know that they're particularly enthusiastic about gym memberships or it might be food. Let's send them a targeted uh, spear phishing attack offering them 20% off their gym membership or a discount for their local restaurants. They're becoming that specific because the automated tools are becoming smarter and smarter every day and allowing them to really tailor the attacks, which is pretty frightening, pretty clever uh, and harder and harder to detect. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, people people sometimes are their own worst enemies. I mean, just look at someone's Facebook profile, their LinkedIn profile, um, Instagram, whatever. You know their likes. I've got young kids and, you know, a kid got a phone, set up Instagram, made his account public. It's like, whoa, hang on. No, no, no. You mm-hmm. just share with friends. But, like, he didn't know. He knows there's this thing called Instagram and he wants to share photos. His friends can see it, happy. He doesn't know that the rest of the world can. So, yeah, there's a lot of information out there. It's it's very much everyone's responsibility to protect themselves, but it's hard. I've been doing this for, I counted this morning, 24 years. And like every single day of my life, I'm learning new and different, you know, things about security and how to how to defend organizations. I guess it's, it's a pretty harsh dangerous thing out there on, on, on the tubes. There are ways to protect yourself, but you know you have to be aware and you have to uh, sort of spartan up a little bit, basically. I'm going to take us on a bit of a tangent here. So in CTRL group, we have a red team and they are attacking, they're breaching organisations, they're paid to do so ethically. But we also have a blue team that are trying to come up with technologies and processes and ideas and policies and to stop these things from happening. Are there any technologies at the moment that AWS is working on that could end the, the red team reign? That something like uh, quantum computing or the implementation of end-to-end blockchain? Is there anything you can sort of uh, let out of the hat there? Uh, nothing, nothing out of the hat, but just you know some of the things that we... That are generally available now, um, something like AWS Guard Duty. So AWS Guard Duty is a, a service that it's effectively an intrusion detection system for the cloud. Super easy to use and operate. Don't need to have specific security staff. You just switch it on in all your environments, and it'll tell you if someone's trying to break into your system. So I'll play devil's advocate here. Yep. All right. So you've got Guard Duty turned on, but I've managed mm-hmm. to jump onto an on-premise uh, environment at an office. I've managed to install a keylogger and I have complete access of the terminal, the IP, the user. So I can probably interject 2FA, I can probably interject 
and, and copy and mimic the person's behavior, how would guard duty stop that? Uh, so guard, guard duty wouldn't, and that's why red teams generally... Is there anything that could stop that? Uh, so, you know, good security processes. So, I mean, I, I guess the thing with security is it's it's like the vector. I mean, you red teamy types are always looking for the, the weakest link. Security is very much a, a matter of the weakest link. Same as, so like if you look at physical security, people don't, people aren't going to try and break in your, your, you know, big front door, which has a big lock on it and maybe a, you know, a security camera. They're going to sneak around the back and look for that, you know, back door that's unlocked or the window that doesn't have bars on it or something like that. So security is very much about the weakest link. That's true of cloud, on-prem, physical. So, you know, for, for that one, I mean, you kind of have to walk it back, but to be honest, one of the most important things about achieving a, a better security posture is actually testing. So a lot of what I do for my customers is we run uh, incident response game days and it's like it's, it's heaps of fun, but it's really, you know, super, super valuable because what you have, even in, you know, even in, in a small organization, you have multiple people with multiple bits of responsibility. So, you know, I guess if you guys were doing a physical incursion, you know, going to turn up in, and I heard you saying it on the podcast, I'm not letting out any industry secrets, but, you know, you rock up with a uh, with a ladder over your shoulder in a high vis and just socially engineer your way in through the through the receptionist who's, you know, just trying to help the business run. She she doesn't know that the CEO didn't, didn't order someone to come in and, you know, change a light bulb or whatever it is. So this concept of testing security, you know, start with a mindset that someone is going to be able to break in, how are you going to respond to it? So an incident response game day, we literally sit down with the organization, we go and, you know, kind of meet all the people responsible for security or, or you know, the actual applications the organization is using to do their business. And, you know, when it's really fun, we literally let, you know, synthetic or semi-real attacks out in the organization and work with the various teams. So how do you detect it? And then what do you do about it? At what point do you call in like a third party incident response specialist or escalate to the vendor? So AWS has a has a security team and you know when our customers have a bad day, they call us and we do everything we can to to help them remediate. I really like the name that you you call it there. We call them threat simulation days, but uh, I really like the way you call them uh, incident response game days sounds fun, but they are a lot of fun, and they, it's interesting to see organisations go from the first one, as you would have seen, and they're kind of uh, running around, hitting each other in the head, not really knowing what to do, as opposed to a, a mature organisation that's like, this is how we detect it, this is the actions that we take, um, and this is how we deal with these things appropriately. Yeah, absolutely, and, and you know, like for when you think about like the, the kind of top end of town, so like um, regulated entities, and it's, it's true of you know, kind of both sides in the commercial sector, you talk about like say banks that are APRA regulated in the government space, it's um, the Australian Signals Directorate and government organisations need to meet the requirements of the information security manual. Like literally when a, you know, when a bank goes to APRA, they have to demonstrate like how are they managing, do they understand the risk that they're, that they're presenting by doing whatever it is they're doing? How are they managing that? And literally that goes down to, you know, what are your governance processes? How are you proactively testing your security? How can you validate to us, the regulator, that you have best practice security across your entire environment and that it's working? It's funny as well, you mentioned the top end of town in Australia. I mean, a recent report by Rapid7 uh, indicated that within the ASX 200, 
the average ASX 200 company had something like 29 servers and devices with exposed vulnerabilities, some as many as 200 to 300 systems and devices with vulnerabilities exposed to the internet. It's hard sometimes to, to say to an SME, hey, you need to take security seriously when those kind of stats are being available from ASX listed companies. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's easier to get security wrong. As I said before, it's a, it's a weakest link thing. So an organization like Rapid7 produces fine tools for assessing that sort of thing. So that's great. You can scan your environment. It's not hard to do. Is it hard to go and patch all those those servers? Clearly is because no one's getting it right. And that's why, um, you know, what gets me excited about security is, is you know, is not how fast, you know, my customers can patch their systems, although that's super, super important. It's like, how can my customers architect solutions which don't have operating systems which need to be patched? Yeah, very cool stuff. There's, there's obviously so many technologies out there. And I guess it's frustrating from your point of view because you can see all these services that are available to businesses and the take-up's maybe not as fast as it should be. I mean, something as simple as we talked about before, probably one of the most common attacks on an organisation would be the simple phishing attack, sending a, a malicious email. Again, in the same report from Rapid7, so they cited uh, 67% of them had no f- anti-phishing defences, something as simple as setting up a DMARC record. And it's, it's another thing where you need to defend yourself against phishing. I mean, you should have some technical controls, but you should also educate your employees. Like, I'm sure I got done by a, well, half done by a, like a PayPal phishing attack 15 years ago. A week later, I went, hmm, really glad I didn't have my credit card in that PayPal account. But, you know, <laughs> I got an email that looked very solidly like PayPal saying my password needed, like, and I afterwards oh, no, just oh, total, no. total face palm and, you know, I had a backup mechanism, which I just didn't have any money in there and no linked credit card. But it's, you know, it's hard if, you know, if you're a non-security person and you get an email from the bank that says whatever it says, it's really, really hard to um, train people not to fall for phishing attacks. That's probably one of the hardest. And I guess the overall mantra and the way that we recommend to our customers is like, keep the people away from the data, keep the people away from the systems, use automation, you know, use people are scarce resources, they're expensive. When you can get good security people, which is not easy, you know, you use them to do good, interesting stuff, get them to think hard about, you know, how to secure a system and then automate that process. So it happens automatically and they can go and spend time working out ways to keep uh, red teamers out and that more interesting stuff. So I think overall, the cloud has been a hugely positive step in the right direction for businesses to be able to easily scale, to create these amazing ecosystems of services and products that they can rapidly get out to the community. I think the cloud providers, for the most part, have done an amazing job of providing intelligent and easy to use uh, security products that are baked into it from the start. Um, They've got some very clever people working on it. I think the message is educate yourself about the cloud platforms that you're using, uh, understand the security features that these platforms offer and utilize them. Just be sensible about the way you use them, be sensible about your rights and understand what the shared responsibility model looks like. And apart from that, go out and build your amazing businesses. Just uh, make sure that you understand the shared responsibility model and that you think about security from day one rather than bolting it on. 
Cyberhacker was brought to you by Podcast One and CTRL Group. Presented by me, Bastian Treptel, produced by Matt Dwyer, our very own Stephen Williams from CTRL Group, and special thanks to David Kaplan. Hacking is real. People and organisations are being taken down every day. If you'd like some professional advice and assistance, go online to ctrlgroup.com.au and we'll help you.